Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Generation C podcast. This week we're joined by Anna, a history finalist and president of Student Minds Cambridge, a branch of the UK's student mental health charity, Student Minds. Their aim is to empower students and members of the university community to look after their own mental health, support others and create change. The most extensive study ever done on the topic found that one in five students suffers from a mental health issue with depression and anxiety topping the list. Additionally, around one in three university students has experienced an issue for which they felt the need for professional help. We will be discussing how to maintain good mental health in such an intense environment, particularly this year in the pandemic. Over the past year, I've worked with the Student Minds as a co-speakers officer, interviewing psychiatrists like the Wounded Healer and Cambridge YouTubers like Eleanor Handtrack and Astrid to help destigmatize and raise awareness for mental health. So Anna, I think we'll start by asking you if you think that the pandemic has had a positive or a negative impact on the mental health of students and in which ways? Um, I think most people um, would absolutely say that it has had a really, really negative impact on students. That's not to say that students were doing well beforehand. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the documentary Feeling Blue, um, but it's sort of, it was created a couple of years ago and it showcased how much Cambridge students, even in ordinary pre-pandemic times, really, really struggle with their mental health. Nevertheless, the pandemic has certainly exacerbated that people are very fearful about their own health and that of their loved ones. Um, a lot of people have reported difficulty in concentrating and working without access to sort of traditional academic support and facilities and that especially in, in somewhere like Cambridge or for students more broadly is naturally going to inflame um, academic stresses and you know worries about employment in the future. On top of that, people have you know, disruptions to their sleeping patterns due to stress, the lack of routines, increased time spent online, the absence of um, you know, socialising with friends and family. I mean, I think in the first lockdown, I didn't see anyone apart from my three immediate family members for probably a good six months. And it was really, really hard, even if you're not super extroverted. I think most people found themselves craving some sort of social contact and even when we could see people again you know not being able to hug your friends that really hits hard um so yeah i think i think the students um young people who would usually be out there sort of having the time of their lives um partying and celebrating and just enjoying you know this period of our lives when we when most of us are fortunate to have fewer responsibilities than we will perhaps later in life um so yeah and with all this affecting students, naturally more people have sought to seek out, um, sort have tried to seek out um, support for their mental health. But of course, the you know vast increase in people needing these resources means they're even more stretched. Not to mention the fact that the NHS obviously is overwhelmed with COVID and a lot of other um, sort of routine treatment, including for mental health, has had to be sort of cut as a result. Yeah, I think that's a really great insight and we've all seen or we all must have seen on the news the impact that COVID has had on mental health service provision um, because of the sudden influx of mm. COVID patients. So it's definitely a really difficult one. And as uni students, we've all experienced having to isolate and having to stay inside, um, especially 
people in first year who haven't made friends so that's definitely made things a lot more difficult um so yeah it has been tough um but the next question is would you say that there's a lot of stigma surrounding accessing mental health resources at university um in general but also at cambridge that's a really interesting question i think um historically i'd say yes um you know, there's not the same attitude towards um, seeking treatment for mental illness um, as there is towards seeking treatment for a physical illness or injury in society more broadly. And naturally that affected um, students at university. Um, however, I'd say that in probably the last decade, I think particularly with the rise of social media, um, people have been able to share their own experiences and come forward and be be open about it and really chip away at that stigma. I mean, Marlene, you mentioned um, interviewing Eleanor and Astrid. Um, and I, I remember in my first year, um, Eleanor and Astrid both posted two particular videos that had made such an impact on me. I mean, Eleanor was talking about her experience intermitting. Astrid was talking about her experience in her second year, struggling with exams. And it was so completely refreshing and so comforting to know that I wasn't the only person going through this. Um, so I think the work of people like that, um, the efforts they put in, um, the huge number of people on Instagram and TikTok talking about mental health um, f among young people, at least, um, has, I think, really contributed to destigmatizing it. Um, in terms of the universities as a whole, I think we can definitely see a sort of reticence among college and even university authorities to sort of treat it seriously as a concern. But um, uh, societies like Student Minds Cambridge and um, uh, the work of uh, people at the student union and sort of student campaigners across across the different colleges I think are, are really working to change that so hopefully we'll we'll continue to see a sort of decrease in the stigma. Yeah I think you've really hit the nail on the head there and I'm just going to quickly explain what intermitting is so it's essentially when Cambridge students will just take a break from study and it will normally be um, to help students overcome serious issues like mental health um, or medical or otherwise um, and it can vary up to a single term or two academic years um, and I think a lot of what you said about sort of social media is so interesting and we've kind of touched on that in previous episodes and kind of um, I'm sure I think you've seen um, that like online activism in a sense has kind of gone in so many different ways so we've had like the black lives matter stuff but that's also then you know the the power of an infographic i think we've seen this year um yeah. and, and it's wonderful to see uh, you know how these messages can be spread to people who wouldn't necessarily have reached them before being able to engage with them for a whole variety of reasons yeah and, and i think happening. yeah and also like in the sense of understanding your own impact and your own um reach um the fact that someone can share something and it, and it reached so many different people um, and potentially give someone a whole new outlook is phenomenal um so i guess we've, we've kind of touched on it but how would you sort of suggest we we tackle um this stigma you know more actively as students as uh, members of our community i think working to just continue growing this culture of openness when, when people sort of maintain a facade of perfection and um, invincibility, that doesn't help anyone. It, it means that the person doing that themselves um, feels this enormous pressure that they can't possibly live up to ultimately, because nobody can. Um, 
be perfect all the time. Um, and for those sort of watching them on social media, it creates um, you know unhealthy expectations. Oh, I should be doing this. I should be getting up at 5 a.m. and doing yoga and then going for a run and then studying and, and then volunteering. And you can't fit that all in a day and not collapse. It's not sustainable. So I think people being open about the fact that they struggle and they're doing their best, but it's not always easy means that we all benefit because we don't have these crushing expectations on ourselves and we know that it's okay not to be okay. And um, in a lot of cases, people are really, really great about sharing resources and how to cope. Um, and that's just among sort of people who have smaller following followings. I mean, I think it's really, really helpful, um, particularly in terms of reaching older people, when um, figures such as Stephen Fry and Alistair Campbell have come out and talked about their experiences with mental illness. Um, uh, Fry, of course, has um, bipolar and uh, Campbell has struggled a lot with depression. And they've both written and talked about this extensively. And I think that sort of thing, you know, it re it's so it reaches so far and these are people who um you know they're from a very sort of traditional model like they're both um you know sort of older white men and i think they managed to sort of reach an audience that you know would have probably been the most likely to sort of poo poo these concerns and say oh no it's just young people being snowflakes um so while social media is fantastic at sort of comforting and looking after young people if used if used um sensitively um, I think having these sort of um, famous figures coming out and using their platforms is also really, really fantastic in, in terms of changing attitudes in society more broadly. Yeah, I completely agree. And you mentioned something or you touched upon something that, that um, Marnie and I have actually discussed before and are looking to do another episode on. But it's just the idea of hustle culture or what we call girl boss culture and the idea that as women, sometimes we feel like we need to constantly be doing something to be on a level playing field or just always have our calendars filled and that's not always the right way to go about things so for example coming into the summer holidays we were talking about how to spread the idea that rest is just as important as doing things especially alongside studies and a degree you definitely need to take the time for yourself and it's so easy to compare yourself to other people who are constantly busy but maybe that's just what works for them and everybody's different and I think we just all need to recognize that um that's so 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 true I mean like you both I completely completely relate to the sort of exhaustion and anxiety about not you know running my own business whilst studying whilst you know managing financially whilst going out and having a brilliant social life whilst being a good person and somehow, you know, having a thousand other plates in the air, it's, it's exhausting. And it feels like we're sort of being made to fit. I watched this, um, um, and, and now I'll, I'll probably go very left wing here. Um, I watched this really um, amazing uh, documentary about how um, it's sort of forcing women to sort of comply with this patriarchal capitalistic ideal. You know, you have to be um, earning your own money, but equally you have to be the sort of ideal perfect women. You have to be at the gym all the day you have to be totally on top of your makeup and your looks and your clothes and your fashion um and at the same time they're just being perfect and it's 
it's selling this to us um and and people spend a lot of money doing this and they don't need to do it and it's not making them happy and it's not contributing to their health if anything it's actively detrimental by all means go out to the gym and look after yourself but, but a lot of what's being marketed as self-care i think really is 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 quite detrimental um but yes yeah no i absolutely agree with you there yeah everything that you said i agree with and i'm sure Molly does as well um and it kind of ties into the next question which is about cambridge in particular um obviously a lot of people feel the need to compare themselves to other students and to be on a level playing field which is quite a an intense environment i would say um so i was wondering if you could tell us a bit about the resources that are available to cambridge students and whether you think that these are adequate given the intensity of a cambridge degree and the current circumstances with the pandemic so on paper there are theoretically a lot of resources you have your tutor in college and they should be able to signpost you to what you need um, a lot of colleges have a nurse or a counsellor and they can help you access different services. Lots of colleges have, a, uh, in fact, I think all colleges have a chaplain who, you know, regardless of your religious beliefs, you can go and chat to. And most JCRs or equivalents have welfare reps as well. Um, and that's all at the college level. And then at the university level, there's obviously the university counselling service, um, the students' union's advice service and the Disability Resource Centre, as well as the SU Liberation Officers, in particular, the Disabled uh, Student Officer, Nightline, and Nightline, which is a listening service run by students for students. And I think it's fantastic that all these resources ex exist, but as to whether they're up to scratch in terms of providing for students going through this really, really intense degree, I think that oftentimes they're not. I think in particular, um, a lot of students firstly rely on sort of informal support structures, so their friends and their family. And because of the amount of work we have to do at Cambridge, it does mean that you're not actually able to have as much time sort of socialising or or going back, um, going back home to see friends or, or family or relatives. Um, and so our access to these informal support structures is is sort of cut off in a way because of the amount of work we have to do. And some people have proposed, well, we could have a reading week for that so that people are able to make use of these structures more. And I think, you know, that may well be helpful. Um, I believe there's a reading group actually um, just been set up to look into that. Um, but in terms of the sort of official structures um, that are in place to support students, I think one major issue is that the quality of tutors varies considerably, not just across colleges, but within colleges. I mean, ultimately, these are academics, they're not specialists in, in mental health, but they've been assigned the, the sort of task of safeguarding uh, potentially men very severely mentally ill students, very vulnerable, often not even 18. Um, so I think it's absolutely essential that they are properly prepared to deal with this. I mean, I know my own tutor, I sent her um, a couple of emails this term, she didn't even reply to me, um, which is really bad. I mean, I'm very fortunate that I have an absolutely wonderful DOS. Um, shout out to Gabriel if, if, you're, if you're listening. Um, and he's sort of been fantastic, but it's, if you don't, if you're not lucky enough to have someone great in your corner, you could really find yourself in an absolutely dreadful situation. And again, that, that's sort of reflected also in in the, 
at different college levels because um you might you probably saw um the tab released an article the other day about the variation in the amount spent by different colleges on mental health and there's a huge huge disparity you've got sort of um i think in 2020 to 2021 i'm just reading some stats here sydney spent seven pounds 33 per student on their in-college mental health services while st catherine spent 161 pounds 54 per student which is 22 times more and it's absurd especially given the pooling system that you could find yourself at a college which just doesn't seem to care that much or at least isn't willing to allocate the resources i mean st catherine's um no sorry queen's um spent ten thousand pounds on a welfare team with two qualified therapists and two other pastoral figures um most colleges don't have that. It's, 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 it's not not right that you know some students are sort of losing out effectively. So, you know, whilst we have these official structures in place, there's a huge disparity. There's a huge disparity between the quality of them on offer. Yeah, I think you've raised some really good points there about the disparity between colleges. I mean, it always surprised me that there wasn't a central fund for things like that. And even in terms of rent and things, we've been kind of having discussions at a JCR level about rent at our college because, you know, sometimes uh, it does sometimes feel a little bit um, out of budget um, in comparison with other colleges. Um, and that's all in the question of, you know, there's just such a disparity between the colleges. Um, and I think what's happening at the moment, and I think it's pretty much, I think it's in July, the results of this are coming out, but the, the, uh, the university has actually gone under like a strategic um, review of mental health and how they're, they're changing things and how they want to run things. So I think, I think hopefully um, within the coming years, we'll have some, some adequate change and some hopefully um, less um, disparate um, uh, resources. Um, I think also what you mentioned, you know, we were talking about resources there and then there are loads of sort of things that you can access. But I think something that's quite nice about Student Minds is that it is a community. Um, and I'm just gonna use it to kind of, this to kind of plug Student Minds a little bit. Um, <laughs> move on to the next question because um, next year you're gonna need a new committee. Um, I think um, elections are happening for the new president, if I'm- Yes, correct. they are. I mean, the deadline to apply to be president is actually in uh, just over four hours. So if, if any last minute <laughs> applications, by the time this goes out, I, I imagine it will probably have passed, but yeah. Yeah, so maybe not president, but any of the other roles, I reckon they'll be coming out around August time, if I'm right. Um, but yeah, so, whilst it might not be a resource it's definitely a community um, and it's a safe space to talk about things like that and hopefully to um, destigmatize um, mental health and um, kind of yeah help, help help us go in the direction we want to go in um, and I guess as a final question um, as the current president for four more hours um, of Student Minds Cambridge um, what do you think this charity does to support students and um, just a final thing where do you see the charity going in the future? Um, so Student Minds Cambridge is just basically a big team of students. We're not trained professionals and we don't pretend to be, um, but we do try to sort of foster an open um, and inclusive and supportive culture at the university um, surrounding mental health. Um, so we have our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, where we try to post lots of sort of 
cheerful means to keep keep you going as you're in the middle of an essay crisis. We ran different events. Um, Marlene ran some fantastic, absolutely fantastic events as speakers officer. I was honestly so, so impressed. Um, you and Fatima did such a good job. I mean, really, really well done. I, I remember reading your application back when you applied and you said that you'd been head girl. And I thought that means that means this girl is good at giving speeches. And I'm so, so glad that I did pick you because you were so good. <laughs> You're definitely, um, you know, so hardworking and so committed and you really, really made a, a fantastic impact. I was so impressed. Um, so yeah, that's a sort of bit on our events. Um, then we also have a mental health blog and you can look at that on our website and loads and loads of students have contributed some really moving pieces about their own experiences with mental illness and their advice. Um, and yeah, all sorts of different pieces on there that you can, I, that I found, I before I became president, I used to read it and I found a lot of comfort in those because they're very open, honest pieces um, and they don't pretend that it's easy. Um, they acknowledge the difficulties and and that's very helpful i think when you're going when you're going through a tough time as i think most students at cambridge go go through at least you know part of their degree um and that sort of leads me on to the next one we do have a team of canvas responders um anyone at cambridge will know canvas which is the sort of student confession page on Facebook and Canvas responders essentially try to um, ensure that any post which where someone's clearly displaying mental health concerns doesn't go unanswered. Um, and on top of that, we have um, a directory of resources um, about where you can see, seek help for mental illness on our website. And we liaise with the university and colleges on behalf of students for improved welfare provisions. So it was sort of big part of that for us earlier in the year was um, campaigning to make sure that students with um, mental health conditions were allowed to go back in January when um, there was a spike in COVID. Um, a lot of colleges were quite dead set against it, but we were able to change some minds and that was, that was very encouraging. Um, so yeah, that's sort of a brief summary. Thank you so much, Anna, for speaking with us today and for dedicating your final year to such an important cause. Um, we'll be including links to the Student Minds website and social medias um, in the description and in the um, Instagram post for anyone who wants to get involved or just have a read and get involved in the community. Um, we wish you the best, Anna, and we'd also thank really like much. to thank our um, listeners for tuning in to another episode. Follow us on Instagram at Generation C Podcast for updates and behind the scene content from us. Um, we will see you in a week. That's